What have you done? The transporter beam originated in our cargo bay. Something was transported from there to the Enterprise. So, Major. The mysterious cargo, brought on board by Major Rakal of the Tal Shiar, has been transported to the Starfleet vessel. I see two traitors in our midst. Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jera, and I'm here with crew members Andy, Sue, and Grace. Hey, guys. Hi. Hey. Hello. So today we're going to talk about badass Romulan women. Um, yeah. But before we do, um, we're just going to uh, do a piece of fan mail. So, Sue, do you want to read that? I think it came in on our Facebook Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for posting this podcast. I agree with the choice of yesterday's Enterprise as being the best episode for women on TNG. Captain Garrett is such a wonderful character and sketched in just a few scenes. Tasha Yar got a better send-off, though they sure did ruin it later. I wanted to talk a bit more about the Bechdel test criteria as well. I agree that a few more women characters would make passing the Bechdel test a lot easier. There are plenty of times where female characters, especially on DS9, are talking competently about work with other people, but because there are not enough female cast members, they work with male cast members, which breaks the Bechdel test. So on DS9, with Dax working most often with Sisko, and Kira working more often with Odo and random Cardassians, then it's a lot more difficult to pass even the basic test. I love your podcast and look forward to our further journeys. From Ruth. Awesome. Thanks, Ruth. I think we're going to get a bit into the... Tasha Yar post yesterday's Enterprise when we get to Sela later in this episode. Um, do you, uh, any of you guys have any thoughts on what she was saying around the Bechdel test? It is definitely an imperfect test, but it's what we got. Yeah, and I think it's a good point that, um, you know, DS9 just had more characters. And when you do see the women working a lot more than, than like TNG, so that's pretty cool. But yeah, there's lots of male officers um, and also a lot of group scenes that mean it's hard to say that Dax is talking to Kira because Bashir and O'Brien and Sisko are all standing around with them. Again, it would be nicer if we had a more concise test than the Bechdel test, but it's kind of what we've got to work with right now. I think the criticism that's posed here is kind of the point of the Bechdel test. Like it would, DS9 would easily pass if there were just more women in the cast. So failing on that count just means that representation is so low. And that is the first problem that needs to be tackled. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, that the point, you know, it's not a perfect test, but it's it shows you a range yeah. of where things are at and gives you an indication that maybe there's a problem. And um, in Deep Space Nine, I think clearly there were times where more of the, um, you know, officers that were around could have been women. Anyhow, um, so thanks again for that. Um, we love hearing from you guys and you can get in touch with us on um, email at crew at women at or on our Facebook page or Twitter or our website at women at We try and make it really easy for you guys to tell us what you think. Yes. Because we like hearing from everybody. Absolutely. So let's get into today's topic, badass Romulan women's uh, women's. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
before we get into some of the specifics, I thought maybe we could just sort of list off some fast facts about the Romulans. So when you guys think Romulans, what's the first thing that comes into your head? Bad fashion. Yeah, we're on the same page. What's with the boxy shoulders? I don't even know. It was the 80s. I like it. (laughs) I like it too. I liked the TOS uh, weird sort of you know, group fashion they had going with all of, like, the pink houndstooth. I liked that better than the, you know, gray boxes they're wearing. That mini dress is super cute, and I would kind of wear it. Absolutely. I mean, when I was watching Face of the Enemy, I just, I couldn't believe that they managed to make Marina Sirtis look that boxy. Yeah. (laughs) With those huge shoulders and the silver, and it's just... She's just buried in that outfit. Okay, cool. So what other qualities do the Romulans embody or what else do we know about them as an alien race? So on a more serious note, um, the Romulans are isolationists. They're xenophobic. They don't want anything to do with anybody else. And they are very strict in what they consider their morals, right? So the Romulans, things are either right or wrong. They're black and white. But at the same time, they're very... They can be very deceptive to the other races in the galaxy, right? So they're they're out for themselves, but as long as they they keep to their morals within their society, they're cool with it. Yeah, I just think that they're a very straightforward race. Um, they they are looking to to keep their their race on top, and they're always balancing power in in their minds and how to take advantage of any mistakes the Starfleet makes or, you know, I mean, every time we see a Romulan come up, it's in as an antagonist, pretty much. They're an antagonistic people, I guess. Yeah. So the Romulans were originally introduced in the original series episode, Balance of Terror, and they were conceived of by a freelance writer called Paul Schneider. And he said that he wanted to create a set of, quote, admirable antagonists for Kirk, and he based them on the Romans. However, um, later, Gene Roddenberry is said to have likened them to the Chinese communists. Um, and in the Enterprise incident, there are stand-ins for the North Koreans. Um, so that's kind of interesting. There's a lot of parallels to be drawn, yeah. Yeah, and uh, they have a rigid caste system. Um, in Star Trek Nemesis, we see that they continue to practice slavery and they kill newborns with birth defects. Um, yeah, but that was nowhere to be seen before Nemesis. Yeah, exactly. It seems that... Nemesis is kind of, I don't know, I feel like I want to throw it out the window because it doesn't fit with the rest of what we've seen of the Romulans to me. Yeah. I agree in terms of the representation of society. um, And certainly that was one movie where the writers said they were very heavily basing it on Chinese communists, which is fairly um, problematic. Um, yeah. Not to say that there aren't problems. No, good. I don't know. There's something to be said about turning them into aliens that kill babies and likening them to any sort of group of people on Earth. Yeah. Um, I not think to mention all that Ron Perlman abuse. It, it certainly seems like in Nemesis they, they took new liberties with how they described the society. Previously, yeah. it had been, I think, far more like that Roman society, that there, there were clear divisions, but it was far more focused around um, honor and nationalism than it was mm-hmm. around 
um, repressing people within the empire. Um, the the society is militaristic, but there is a government that's controlled by the Romulan Senate, um, which is headed by the Praetor and served by the Tal Shiar as the secret police. And then there's sort of a balance of power between the military and the government um, with their arm of force being the Tal Shiar. Um, but what I think is probably the coolest thing about the Romulans is like right from 1968 in the making of Star Trek, um, which is by Stephen Whitfield and Gene Roddenberry and is an excellent book. They say that Romulans are highly militaristic, aggressive by nature, ruthless in warfare, and do not take captives. The Star Empire is a dictatorship with some similarities to the warrior stoic philosophies of Earth's ancient Roman empires. And then there is complete equality between the sexes. Women are as often found in command of a ship as are men. So I think that's partly why we get so many badass Romulan women. Nice. Yeah, I mean, they. I, when I was rewatching some of the uh, Sela episodes, and it's clearly stated in Redemption Part 1 and 2 that women can't be on the Klingon High Council. And I, I, I mean, I guess I noticed that the first time through, but the second time through, I was like, wait, what? So it's kind of nice to see that there's apparently not an equivalent in Romulan society, that for whatever their faults, they, they tend to value competence above all else. Well, they say that it's equal and you're just as likely to find a woman in command. But whenever there's a woman in command, look at the rest of her crew, because it's all men. This brings up an interesting point when you're analyzing uh, any group in Star Trek. There's the outward concept that they as people project and what's actually going on inside that group, which gives you this interesting sort of dynamic of culturalism there to look into. But I think that's in one way, that's why I respect the uniforms, even though, yes, they are ridiculous. And I believe I've called them like goofy quilted football player outfits, but <laughs> accurate. But they're really unisex. And that was like coming out of the late 80s, there was this whole, you know, like the shoulder pad power suit thing for women. Um, and I think that it draws from that, that this idea like that you, um, it, it like sort of covers up secondary sex characteristics and really makes the shoulders look very strong, um, you know, maybe ridiculously so. But um, I think that they're like the fact that, that made it into the costumes is cool. It is really interesting, a really good example of how the fashion of the time influenced the costume design and it works. It's just silly. Yeah. I mean, you do see like later on um, in Deep Space Nine and in Nemesis that um, the uniforms are still pretty unisex, but they're a lot more form fitting and not so boxy and like everyone is literally wearing the same thing. Well, I don't know. I really think that the costumes, especially that we see on Next Generation, make a lot of sense based on the description of this culture that we just went through because they're really angular. You know, it's it's straight right angles, just like the society is perceived. You know, there's right and wrong. They're straightforward. They're, you know, very pragmatic in that way. So, you know, there's not a lot of like flair or or extraneous stuff. So, I, I mean, they might look ridiculous to us, but I think it makes a lot of sense for especially their military to have that kind of gray, square, angular uniform. Yeah, I mean, it definitely tells you right off the bat what kind of people they are. And I mean, that's the whole point of the uniform designs anyway, isn't it? You know, to try and tell us something about the character of the person wearing it 
through clothes. So I still think they're hideous, but I certainly understand, (laughs) you know, how they could be used in that way to kind of as a shorthand to tell us the kind of people that we're dealing with. People that are no frills. They don't care about the aesthetically pleasing stuff. They just care about getting the job done. Uh So I thought we would go through in sort of chronological order and start with the first Romulan woman we see who is the Romulan commander in the Enterprise incident. So Andy, do you want to kick us off a bit with that one? Yeah, I mean, I just watched this one when I was finishing up the original series. And uh, I have to say this is definitely one of the best original series episodes for women. Uh, For one thing, we have this Romulan commander that is... uh, very much in charge and basically what the episode is is Kirk is trying to go kind of undercover into a Romulan ship to take technology back and then then Starfleet can use it to counter the Romulans and while he's doing that Spock and this Romulan commander kind of have this very interesting relationship in which they're antagonistic, but there's also some romance there. And then in the end, Kirk kind of manages to to trick everyone and get away with the tech. And um, it's it's kind of a really interesting, almost Ocean's Eleven type episode where they drop us into it without not without knowing what Kirk's plan is. So at first, you're not sure what Kirk is doing, and then his plan is kind of shown bit by bit, and then. At the end, they stroll off into the sunset with this Romulan tech with mission success. Nice. Yeah, this episode was sort of Star Trek's attempt at really like ripped from the headlines because I had no idea about this, but there, it's inspired by the USS Pueblo incident, which was a US uh, ship that was caught in North Korean waters with a bunch of spy equipment and the North Koreans captured the ship. And during the writing and airing of this episode, the Americans were being held hostage in North Korea um, until I think r- it was resolved shortly after it aired. So they really pushed DC Fontana to write this episode really quickly. And she really did see it as a spy story and not a romance story. The commander was originally a man. And um, even when they asked her to change the gender of the commander, um, she really resisted the romantic side of the story. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense because I really, really like this episode, especially for the original series. But it is kind of disappointing that you have your first really leader that's a woman and have her be tricked through seduction basically spock is keeps her off balance and she she basically lets her feelings for spock or her like the way she's drawn to spock uh, allows her to not notice that kirk is stealing from her at this moment and that's really the only thing that i would say i didn't didn't like about this episode is it would have been nice to have have her just be more competent than that. Because in every other way, they portray her as very competent. Because women are fools for love, apparently. Yeah, in uh, the Captain's Logs book, they quote DC Fontana as saying that my biggest objection is the scene between Spock and the woman because I really did not believe it. And I did not believe the Romulan did not suspect Spock of something under underhanded. She does know enough about Vulcan and Vulcans to know that something's afoot. 
Um, although it could have been worse because apparently when they took the script out of her hands and passed it up to the producers, um, Fred Freiberger asked Arthur Singer to write the romantic interlude and he apparently described it as um, Spock taking her in his arms and raining kisses on every square inch above her shoulder and saying, I adore you. Good Lord. No. Ah, <laughs> it's just got bodice ripper. That's out of character for Spock, much less, you know, worse in a... Totally. And I definitely think, um, you know, if folks are interested in this, they should read more of the uh, These Are the Voyages because it goes into the whole angry um, dispute about this episode between DC Fontana and Fred Freiberger and Arthur Singer um, and her basically saying fans are smarter than this. Um, and it's pretty awesome. I don't know. I I do kind of like imagining that scene, though, but with Spock trying to awkwardly seduce her, like, I adore you. Ah, ah. <laughs> Mwah, mwah. Like Spock's very terrible um, yes. seduction. <laughs> exactly. You are fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> but Spock's seduction technique is 100% on point here, to be honest. He yeah. is, uh, he is, they don't make him go out of character too much. They, he's still very logical. He's still very reserved, but somehow she's responding to that. And actually the chemistry between the actress and Leonard Nimoy is, is really good. So, I mean, as much as I didn't really like this aspect of her being seduced, I, I did really enjoy the chemistry between them and was for the first time really interested in how our relationship might evolve in the future. Totally. Um, so what do you guys think of uh, the scene where she slaps him? <laughs> I mean, good for her. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just have this awesome quote from Joanna Linville, who was who played the Romulan commander, who is not named in the episode, um, but she does have a name in the books, which Andy, I believe, knows. <laughs> no, it's uh, her... She is not named in the episode, which is really stupid and doesn't make any sense. But apparently she is. Um, we do see her more in the books. So they name her in the books as Liviana Charvanic. Um, so I just think it's stupid that they never gave her a name. And so I'm just going to pretend that they did. And this is her name. Works for me. Yeah, I feel like they did that a lot more in the original series. I'm not really sure why. Um, I mean, certainly when we get to Deep Space Nine, we have the female changeling who doesn't have a name. Um, and there's like antagonists that are just basically defined by like their race and gender, which uh -huh. is weird but anyhow um so this joanna linville is talking about the scene and she says it thrilled me that this strong military woman would lose her discipline for that one brief moment and slap him and i really slapped him i didn't tell him it was going to be anything other than a stage slap i just did it it was real and he took the slap right one take babe <laughs> excellent yeah i mean I I just as much as I I wish they hadn't you know done the seduction I just really like this episode for one I think it's really well crafted and interesting for once I didn't know exactly where they were going throughout the whole thing and then also I just thought that she had such presence and I mean when she changes out of her uniform and like puts on this this very cool dress that's not super sexy but a little bit um trying to think of a better word than seductive because i've used it so alluring often. something more comfortable <laughs> yeah 
No, I mean, it's just, it's really, it's really beautiful dress, but then she still walks around as if she's still in full military uniform. So towards the end of the episode, she is on the bridge of the Enterprise and she's wearing this dress. She's not in her military uniform anymore, but she still is holding herself as still, as if she's still in charge, which I really enjoyed. That really redeemed that scene to me, actually, because it really bothered me when, when Spock's lines were, were insinuating you know, you can't be feminine and be this commander. This doesn't go together. And she says back to him, the soldier will transform herself into a woman. I just, you know, that's where I roll my eyes and I say, because you can't be both at the same time. But then you know, later in the episode, as she is on the bridge of the Enterprise, clearly she can. Yeah, she shows herself to be both. And actually, I think a lot of the credit for that does go to the actress because Absolutely, um, yeah. she, she says that when she came in to try on that dress, that um, she saw it on a mannequin and it was like designed for someone who was super busty. And it was and she says that the costume designer, Bill Tice, was going to have her be very sexy well no wrong what he got from me was a soldier a soldier is lifted chest direct honest two feet on the ground the truth coming up from her feet and through her body when she sits in that chair she owns that chair and it comes across yeah. That's exactly how I put it when when I was tweeting it too is I was like this woman is owning the bridge and the best part is is she has been basically defeated at this point um she she lost her battle of wits so to say. And then at that moment, she tells her crew to fire on the Enterprise with her on it. There's like at no point is she not putting her feelings or and, and she puts her duty first always. And you can and that comes through very clearly in that performance. And uh, I'm not surprised at all that the actress did that intentionally because it really it shows. Oh, definitely. And it's kind of a throwaway line from Kirk, but that's the Romulan flagship. So she's not just commanding a Romulan ship, she's commanding the Romulan flagship. So in that sense, she's Kirk's equal. Yeah, and she treats him exactly as an equal throughout the episode. I wish that went both ways. <laughs> yeah, that would have been nice. Oh, so cool. And uh, did you guys have any more thoughts on the costumes from that era of Romulans? I loved them. Pink hands, tooth. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just, I thought the costumes were were really cool. And as I said, I really loved that dress. It's very elegant. Awesome. Um, Anything else on Liviana Charvenek? Just two thumbs up from me. (laughs) I really liked her. Yeah, wish we'd gotten to see more of her. It was really nice for me because I had just gone through so much of the original series where uh, I had been dealing with all of this misogyny. And then to have this Romulan commander just kind of stride onto the bridge and that awesome bra- dress and just be like, yeah, I'm awesome. That must have been a fantastic change of It pace. was. It was such a, a morale booster. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> so um, in between uh, the original series and TNG, uh, we got one Romulan woman, Caitlin Dar, in Star Trek V. I do not remember her at all, I think, largely because I've blocked out sections of this movie from my head. <laughs> Gee, I wonder um, why. But uh, I understand Sue watched this recently, and I don't know, Grace, if you have any thoughts on her? I don't remember her, honestly. She's she's one of the diplomats yeah. that it, I think is abducted. Oh, yeah. She has a ridiculously shiny outfit that's super pink and glittery, if I remember correctly. Yeah, she doesn't look really like the... TOS Romulans and she doesn't look like the TNG Romulans and she doesn't dress like either. I mean, I guess she's a diplomat and not a military officer, but she's basically just 
there to be there, it seems, because there's this conference that the delegates get abducted from, and then at the end, they're all drinking Romulan ale. Like, there's... <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Basically, um, I don't think we should even talk about Star Trek V ever. No. At all. Ever. <laughs> Not to mention, she looks like she was designed by the character designer from the Jetsons. <laughs> so. <laughs> I live-blogged that movie a couple weeks ago, and... One of the things I said was, we're 45 minutes in, and I legit have no idea what's going on. So, yeah. Yeah, Welcome to Star Trek V. (laughs) Okay, well, I am fine with leaving it at that as well. So, uh, shall we move on to TNG then? Yeah, because we get some really cool Romulan women in TNG. Let's boldly go forward. Um, I picked out a few um, that I thought we could talk about. And uh, the first one is... Toreth from Face of the Enemy because we're we're big Face of the Enemy yeah. fans here. <laughs> One of the best episodes of Star Trek ever, Pretty and much. Uh, definitely my favorite Romulan woman. Really, more than more than Enterprise Incident Woman. Yes, because I just rewatched it last night in preparation for this, and I just am absolutely amazed at the depth of that performance because you got such a sense of who she was and like kind of her history and we also got a, a good sense of kind of the um the split between the military and the Tal Shiar which I thought was really really interesting and the way the actress played that you really got a sense of this woman who had lived a very full life working for the Romulan military and you know, uh, going through these battles, but then also has the background of having lost her father to the Tal Shiar and this kind of bitterness that she has over it. And it was pretty amazing to me that we could get that sense of her so quickly. And um, also while she's still maintaining this very practical demeanor. So like just hinting at the emotion below, I loved all of that. Yeah, and throughout the episode, she doesn't know that Troy is not an officer of the Tal Shiar. And those are the, the people who are enforcing loyalty, if you will. Yeah. So to to butt heads with her, that that's risky. She's got a lot of guts to do that and defy her in that way. She is like a master of passive aggression in this um, episode. It's so great. It's motivated out of, um, like you said, like her father was killed. She really, really dislikes and distrusts the Tal Shiar, but she knows that she'll lose. Like she can't win that fight against them. Um, So she's just pushing as much as she can in the situation. Um, And the actress Carolyn Seymour is just fabulous. And she also played a Romulan uh, commander in the episode Contagion, um, which is the Iconian Gateway episode. Um, And she's she's like definitely a cool presence in that. But she has so much more to do in face of the enemy. Yeah, there is not a lot for that commander in Contagion to do. The only real thing is that, you know, she's trying to save face while her ship is falling apart, but then accepts help from from Riker and Jordy at the very end of the episode but you you know you don't see the Romulans reaction to oh, accepting help from the Federation so there's not even that much to discuss about it she's just there so the Romulans can serve an extra threat in that episode one thing I also really love about this character though um, in face of the enemy is that her as a character acts as such a great foil for Troy as a character in the sense that she's engaging in this sort of passive aggressive warfare here she's like constantly subtly fighting at you 
sometimes less than subtly. But that goes so much against what uh, Counselor Troy is all about. She is about being forthright and straightforward emotionally and saying, this is how I feel. This is what I think we need to do. And so having the two of them as characters working together or against each other it's it makes her such a great foil i think yeah i agree and you definitely get to see troy step up because if we hadn't had such a strong antagonist we wouldn't have been able to see troy be as awesome as she was yeah definitely we have to we get to see troy at her troyest i absolutely love the dinner scene in that episode i think it's maybe like my separate second favorite star trek awkward dinner scene after Star Trek 6 where it, it feels like just the tension in that room between the two of them. This is when um, Toref is talking about you know very passive aggressively like basically what did my father ever do to the Tal Shiar? He was an old man and he was dragged out and killed and everyone is like looking between them um, and it just it has like all the awkwardness of combine the scariest job interview with your high school prom and that is the tension <laughs> that is in the air and that in that uh, scene. It's even got the puffy shoulders of your high school prom. Yes. <laughs> My God. And the really shellacked hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, I really like that scene too, Jara. It's really it's really cool. There's a lot of layers there because Torith doesn't realize that Troy is Troy. So there's, and, and then Troy is just trying to make it through this dinner without betraying herself. So... Uh, you on the one hand you have the conflict of the military versus the Tel Shiar, which Troy is not interested in at all. Who's just trying to make it through? Um, but then she has to take up the mantle of the Tel Shiar to keep her cover, and there's just so many layers of like conflict in that scene. It's, it's awesome. It's a great piece of psychological warfare. I love it when she says, "Well, I guess your father was a traitor." Then to Torith. Like, that was just the strong way she says it and the way she takes up this character so passionately. And she was like, well, if he was taken away by the Tal Shiar, he must have been a traitor. Sucks to be you. And her written yep. Taurus reaction to that, that is such a great scene. And great acting. I kind of imagine that there's an alternate universe where like Troy comes back as herself and it's just like hey no hard feelings for all of that right like you seem pretty cool and <laughs> maybe they go off and like run for president and vice president together Aww. it's just so amazing to see Troy be so aggressive yeah it's pretty awesome yeah I mean she's really canny in this episode she and she she's been thrown into this situation with no preparation at all, and she rises yeah. to the occasion beautifully. Man, we love this episode. Yeah, we really did. We do. mention how much we love this episode. Fun <laughs> fact: uh, Naren Shankar, when he was writing Toreth, didn't know what gender she was going to be, but imagined her to be Sean Connery in the Hunt for Red October. Oh, cool! Oh, wow. It's pretty fun to just like imagine. <laughs> One thing I really like about Toreth is she is honorable. That's the best part about her is she's on the she's on the opposite side of our crew but she gets very upset when people are killed and they didn't need to be killed um and you can see that she does have this very strong moral core it just happens to be in conflict with you know the federation and starfleet she just happens to be on the opposite side but she's still a strong and moral person very good example of the difference between a bad guy and just an antagonist and there's often this tension in the romulan stories about sort of your personal interest versus the national interest and they're they're far more leaning to the side of you have to suppress your personal interest for the national interest 
So last but not least for our TNG list, um, we have Sila. So Andy, I know you rewatched Redemption probably most recently. <laughs> do you want to start in with that? Yeah, we do get a little bit of like shadowy Sila earlier than this. And I think it's Mind's Eye. Um, yeah. But we don't actually get to really see her until um, the end of Redemption Part 1, where who looks like to us, Tasha Yar, steps out of the shadows and is a Romulan. And everyone's like, what? What's going on? I actually really like that at that moment, we find out that the Romulan that has been pulling the strings for this entire, I don't know, story arc of Worf and the Klingon Civil War has been someone that looks exactly like Tasha Yar. And she comes out of the shadows with this line that's like, humans, you know, they're always where they don't expect you to be. And it's just so meta. It's like, we did not (laughs) expect to see you. Um, And she has that great line. So she's only in it for the last, you know, couple minutes. And then we go into Redemption Part 2, where she very much is kind of the puppet master of this whole situation behind the scenes. I really like the last couple minutes of Redemption Part 1. Like she's, you you know, you imagine that this was the cliffhanger and then people had to wait all summer to see the conclusion. And I can imagine being really excited about that conclusion just from from the, like the energy in her eyes and how creepy she looks. Um, It's pretty cool. I'm not sure that that excitement totally gets fulfilled in the second part. No, but it definitely amps you up. Can you imagine what it would have been like if there had been internet message boards? (laughs) During this, I mean, all everybody the would have all the fan theories of how Tasha Yar could possibly be a Romulan commander. <laughs> I was reading up on this, and it turns out that Denise Crosby is actually the one who came up with this idea in Ooh. a way. But she like called the producers. She she was saying that you know yesterday's enterprise was so much fun i wonder if there's another way that i could come back so she was thinking this was yar and castillo's daughter right and that it would just be this person raised by romulans and then she called the producers or the writers and they said no i think it's better if they kept tasha alive made her backstory even more troublesome, and then Uh. there is a half-Romulan daughter. Yeah. So instead of making her, like, raised by Romulans and have Romulan ideals, they made her half-Romulan. Yeah. At uh, Geek Girl Con a couple years ago, Denise Crosby said that when she took that idea to Rick Berman, um, he basically was like, well, I don't see how you and Castillo could have had sex in that episode. She's like, well, I don't (laughs) know how long it takes you. (laughs) Ah, (laughs) but I mean that would have been I think so much more of a palatable story that she'd had this baby with a guy she cared about and the baby had been kidnapped versus basically yesterday's enterprise was meant to redeem Tasha Yar's death and give her a meaningful death but then you just gave her another even more unmeaningful horrifying death in redemption part two when you hear that she was executed for trying to escape with her daughter from her Romulan rapist. Yeah. And then the daughter that she does have grows up to hate her. Yeah. It's just, it's squidgy. It's cringeworthy. I don't like it. (laughs) This is my main problem with Tasha Yar as a character is they never let her not be a victim. They give her like these brief moments of not having everything be horrible to her, but they, they were trying to write this, or at least you think that they were trying to write this strong woman security officer, and then they just make her be victimized over and over and over again and how horrifying is it to think of her because uh Sela says that she that she was trying to run away when Sela's four so you have to imagine that's like five years of forced imprisonment and constant rape and then to be betrayed by your daughter 
who then rejects everything you stood for. It's it's horrifying. Yeah. And there's this really weird scene where Guinan goes to Picard to tell him, yes, she's telling the truth and tells him about what happened in yesterday's Enterprise. But she goes basically like, this whole thing could be your fault, which kind of undermines how much role Yar had in yesterday's Enterprise of saying, like, this is what she wanted to do. Is also just crazy unhelpful. And it just never, and it never plays out in that episode that, like, yeah, that's a horrifying thought that, you know, Picard could have ordered Yar into this situation when actually that's not what happened, where this horrible stuff happened to her. But then the episode is so much more about Worf that that anxiety doesn't get resolved. It's really unfortunate. But Sela really has it out. Well, a lot of the Romulans really have it out for Picard. Like specifically, it's almost like, you know, the Ferengis in the early season, how that was just about getting Picard, which is weird to me. It's all about Picard, apparently. Well, I mean, I guess he he's the person that keeps foiling their plans most often. What do you guys think of, other than the horrible origin story, what do you think of Sela as a character? I like some of what's been done with her. I really enjoy the way she's been used on Star Trek Online as the main Romulan figure. If you choose the Romulan track, you you, you, hers is the voice you hear every time you level up. You get to have her as kind of the main antagonist or either as the main leader. I feel like she can be utilized well. We just didn't get to see very much of that. Yeah, I mean, they had her as kind of like this shadowy figure who's making all of these plans behind the scenes and then revealing her, which is how we see her again when we see her after this in Unification Part 1 and 2, again, she comes out of nowhere to be our antagonist, and she always gets foiled, and fairly easily. I just feel like they could have made her much stronger, a much stronger antagonist, and then just much more competent. Yeah. I mean, who leaves Picard and Data and Spock in a room with a computer and just leaves them there and is like, yeah, so nothing bad will happen now. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna go and, and everything will be fine. That room is presumably her office too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who would walk into their own office and not notice that the walls were suddenly closer together? <laughs> she really, really did not take after her mother, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you would lock them up, put them in a jail cell. Do not leave them in your office alone with no guards. I mean, what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I think that seeing her introduced, like working with Lursa and Bator, doesn't really speak well for her competence because their characters had that same problem where they were just, I think, foiled way too easily. It didn't make you really respect them. And it's unfortunate because I think from that first scene where we see Sila, you think, oh my God, this could be amazing. And then it just doesn't really play out. She's not made quite as hard to beat and um, smart and savvy and manipulative as she could be. Yeah, and I just can't, it's it's really hard for me to get over the fact that, um, you know, she looks like Tasha Yar, but she is the exact opposite. And thinking about Tasha turning into this and then, yeah, I just, they made of, might have made her into the coolest character ever. And I don't think I could have gotten over that origin story. Yeah. So there's a couple Romulan women I wanted to talk about beyond TNG. And we're going to be careful because Andy hasn't seen these yet. So we're, I... Should I plug my ears and go la 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 la? Well, I'm hoping we can just talk about the characters and not so much the plots of what's happening. <laughs> um, and it's going to be okay because they're they're fairly minor characters. Like we don't get to see any of them as much as Sila or in depth as we do Tareth or uh, the Romulan commander from the Enterprise incident. In Deep Space Nine, there's a couple of them, and I think the most memorable one is probably Senator Kratak, who's the Romulan liaison during the Dominion War. Um, I just rewatched Image in the Sand. 
Island today. I think that's the one it's called, <laughs> where she's kind of in a in a standoff, and the Federation are trying to figure out whether the like she's so important to the war effort, but she's really pushing some boundaries in terms of what is acceptable with other Federation allies, and the Federation is trying to figure out whether they're going to um, shut her down or right. let her let her kind of do what she wants um, in the service of the Romulan Empire, even though it might mean that after the war, the Romulans could really easily attack the Federation. I think she's pretty cool. You guys got any thoughts, Grace or Sue? Yeah, it's nice seeing a recurring, you know, Romulan figure in a story where the Romulans aren't a sort of central point of conflict for the show but it's cool to have that reminder of yes Romulans it's still here the rest of the world is going on still outside of this plot yeah and um again like it's cool that they they had a woman be the the main government liaison but she's also in charge of uh, military some military operations and she I think she has a shadow of the awesomeness that was Tereth in terms of um, she's really a master of brinkmanship in these negotiations and in really pushing the limits on what's uh, acceptable for her to do in this alliance. She's played by two different actresses in the, the her last episode, Inter Arma Anum Silent Legus. Um, she is played by a different actress and that one's really more like a Bashir episode that they just kind of needed someone to put into this spy story. But again, cool Romulan ladies in spy story. I just feel like after TNG, the Romulan threat was just, if not gone, uh, more ignored. You know, they were there because in DS9 because they were part of the Alpha Quadrant trying to get rid of the Dominion, right? But the the threat was gone. Like it was still kind of there, but it it wasn't as intense as it was in the Next Generation. Like in TNG, if you saw a Romulan ship on cloak, you knew something bad was going down. In DS9, not so much. Maybe just because you knew they got rid of the shoulders. (laughs) I'm just like, sorry, we just can't take you seriously anymore. Because before we feared that if you conquered us, you would make us all wear those. And that was the most terrifying thing of all. (laughs) Much less intimidating. But um, there also was just that issue in Deep Space Nine where there's so much of a focus on the Cardassians. And even though there are differences, I think there's also similarities in terms of they like tend to be cast in these kind of like spy intrigue stories. They're very nationalist and xenophobic. Um, I mean, the Romulans are more isolationists and the Cardassians are more conquerors. But there are these similarities that I think maybe made it harder to bring in Romulans much more. But last but not least, we have Star Trek Nemesis. And uh Oh boy. <laughs> so without giving away Can we the, not? the plot too much. I actually like the Romulan women in this though. As much as the rest of the movie is terrible in many ways, and I'm sure once Andy has seen it, we will analyze it. <laughs> unless we decide to relegate it to the realm of things we never discuss, like Star Trek V. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start a list. <laughs> but um you have two women in charge in the Romulans, and I think we only only really see other than the main antagonist in the movie we only really see women so there's commander Donatra who is the military commander who is trying to decide basically what side she's on and she wants to work for the Romulan people but does that mean siding with their new leader or does that mean siding with the Federation and I understand she also plays a role in Star Trek Online is that I think so I don't have a very good memory right now because I haven't gotten to play in a while actually no worries but I like how she has that that similar thing about you know she's very 
very interested in what's good for her people, but she isn't really sure what that means. And then there's uh, Senator Talora, um, who is played by Shannon Cochran, who also played Martok's wife, Sorella. So when we get to our Klingon woman episode, I'm sure we'll talk about that. I'm looking forward to that episode because yeah. there's a lot to talk about when we talk about Klingon women. So many boob windows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. And uh, she's she's pretty cool too. Um, she's definitely more on the devious, manipulative side of things. But in the the novels in the Titan series afterwards, both Denatra and Talora play really important roles in the first couple books. And there's still there's tension with each other. Talora in the books um, becomes the praetor of the Romulan government. And there's some really awesome scenes where uh, Troy, who's now like the chief diplomat on the Titan, just totally gets to tell Talora off. Pretty great. So I think that those characters had a lot of potential, even though Nemesis, like I said, was a problem. And then we had Romulans being the main antagonist in the new rebooted 2009 Star Trek. And they have a ship full of Romulans with no women. Shocker. Yeah, so the only Romulan woman that we see is Nero's wife in his, like, I don't know, pictures yeah. that he has of her. But I would like to point one thing out, though, if I may, really quickly. Sure. There is a Romulan woman who's on the crew who doesn't, we don't really get to see her on screen, but she was cast and they wrote sort of a mini backstory for her. And the woman they cast was, I want to say, a Muay Thai specialist who was once declared the most deadly woman in the world. What? And they said, yeah. That's the kind of Romulan women they would have on this crew. Then why isn't she in the movie? Exactly! It's so sad that you look it up and find out this cool stuff, and they're like... Really? They had that just sitting? She was just sitting in the background there? I think you see her for like a split second and that's it. But they had a Muay Thai expert on crew. I also just really dislike the look of the Romulans in 2009. Like I think worse than the boxy shoulders, the like weird like face spots and bald heads. I don't know. I feel like they're trying too hard to make them look badass instead of trying to make them good characters. Isn't that generally what happens though in a summer blockbuster movie? Yeah. Unfortunately, it's kind of the kind of what you get. Doesn't mean I have to like it. True enough. The other problem being that we have a a really done-to-death backstory in that the wife and child were murdered. So it it goes right to the the concept of fridging, which is a concept that uh, Gail Simone named. Gail Simone, what, what? I know. Big props to Gail Simone for being (laughs) awesome in every possible way. She is a comic book writer. And basically, she started this idea of all of the comic book heroes who their main motivation is revenge for their murdered wives or daughters or children and everything like that. And she started calling it being fridged. And um, after Kyle Raynor's girlfriend was murdered and left for him to find in the fridge in the Green Lantern comics. Yeah, it's just this like basic concept where women are only used as plot devices and as victims. And this is a, a pretty straightforward use of that. The sad thing is it just started as a basic list. And if you look it up, the list has gotten pretty extensive and well cataloged and people being like, oh, hey, yeah, that's a thing, isn't it? And there are more of them in Star Trek, too. So, um, no shortage. Back when we get to the Klingon women, we can discuss this again. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, sorry, Grace, I just looked it up, and there was a woman um, who was named in the collectible card game Romulan Officer Livis, who was apparently the communications officer in 2009, and her real name is Lucia Riker, but R-I-J-K-E-R, so I may be pronouncing that wrong. 
She's Dutch. And yes, she was dubbed the most dangerous woman in the world. She's never been defeated by a female opponent in boxing or kickboxing. She's only been defeated once by a male opponent uh, in a kickboxing match. So that is pretty cool. How badass is that? Why didn't they use that? Yeah, exactly. It's that's pretty unfortunate. Now, now I'm picturing like that whole last scene with Kirk and Spock on the Romulan ship totally differently with this Romulan woman just handing Spock and Kirk their ass. <laughs> just kicking them to pieces. I'm looking at this picture of her and she has hair, which makes me kind of disappointed that like if they were going to go for the shaved heads, they should have just shaved everyone's heads. I mean, I guess uh, if they had kept everybody bald, maybe there were some Romulans in the background that were women that we didn't notice. But I just thought that was interesting and sad. Yeah. Missed opportunity. Right? Lots of things are interesting and sad in the reboots. <laughs> <laughs> but at least we got some of these really, really cool Romulan women. Oh, no kidding. We also got Adrian Barbeau as a Romulan at one point, which I loved. Yeah, she was one of the Kratox, wasn't she? Yeah, I think so. I want to say so, but I just thought Adrian Barbeau made a really good Romulan. It's always cool when you get to see this actress who for a long time was known as just this total sex kitten actress and her, you know, wearing the Romulan outfit and being like, no, I am super serious and scary right now. Okay. Yeah, so so she was the, the second actress who played Senator Kratok. The first one was uh, Megan Cole. Um, I think they were both good. I'm not sure really like what the issue was, but she was good. Okay, well, that was all I have for Romulan women, because I think we basically, I mean, there are, there's a few more kicking around, but I think those are the really the most memorable ones. Pretty much, yeah. So overall, I think pretty positive moments. We got a Facebook comment that I thought was really interesting, because um, one thing that we've been doing that we will continue to do is post what our subjects are going to be on Facebook, so people can kind of discuss these characters before we talk about them. And there was one from Jenny who said that to her, Romulans have always been boring. But now that she thought about it, all the good ones were women. Yeah. In, and good being in the sense of interesting slash cool yeah. slash scary. And I thought that was kind of interesting that she didn't like the, the race as they were portrayed, but the ones that she did like were women. If any writers are listening, take that as a hint right there. <laughs> <laughs> Write us more badass Romulan women, please. Or just more badass women in general. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, I'd also be interested to hear if we have any readers who have read the, the novels um, about Livia. Anna, um, the Romulan commander. I looked up some of the information on them, but I don't know like how she was portrayed. I mean, it seems like they have her work with Spock a bit more um, from prison and then eventually get out and have a new career. But um, I'd be interested to hear if anyone has any recommendations on some good novels that she was in. Yeah, because uh, I don't have a ship for the, the original series. This is the closest <laughs> I got for to actually having a ship nice. because I was like, these two had such chemistry. I would have loved to see their, their relationship relationship extended in this kind of antagonistic but sexy chemistry they had. I bet you can find a list of her appearances on Memory Beta. The closest thing I have to a ship for the original series is like Sarek and Amanda and it's more like an aww ship not so much a sexy ship. I guess I just have to be be grateful that I got even this one and then, you know, looking forward to new ones in the future. 
I have a couple ships for TNG. New ships to sail in your fleet. I am looking forward to uh, when we get to discussing shipping. But awesome. So, well, thanks so much, everyone, for joining us for our discussion of badass Romulan women in Star Trek. If you're interested in finding out more about Women at Warp, you can check us out at our website, womenatwarp.com, or follow us on Twitter at Women at Warp. And if you have any questions or suggestions for upcoming episodes, feel free to email us at crew at womenatwarp.com or join in the discussion on our page on Facebook titled Women at Warp, where you can talk with other fans about Star Trek and any thoughts you have on our show and upcoming episodes. So thanks so much for listening. Can you guys tell the audience where they can find you? Let's start with Sue. Sure, you can find me at anomalypodcast.com. And Andy? You can follow me on Twitter at First Time Trek, where I am live tweeting my first time watching Star Trek, and I am currently about to watch the original series movies, so that should be interesting. And then I get to start Deep Space Nine, Yay! which I'm very excited about. And I'm Grace, and you can find me at Bone Crusher Jink on Twitter. And you can find my writing on the Mythcreants blog. And I'm Jara, and you can find me at trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com. Thanks so much for listening. The cloaking device. Bring him. Yeah.